Heyo, welcome everyone to episode 22 of Today in the Scene. I'm Joe with Indie Arcade Wave, and this week we're going to dive into Danger Zone Arcade. They're located out in Arizona, and they're an amusement provider, um, having games like Killer Queen, Galactic Battleground, Cosmotrons, basically representing the indie scene down in Arizona. Um, I'm speaking with Jordan Lemero today. How are you doing today, Jordan? I'm doing outstanding. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited that you finally got on here. I've been chatting with you a lot um first through galactic battleground but also through instagram kind of talking about the games that you've got and everything um and you kind of told me about renting the games and whatnot that you're doing for the situation that's going on but first off i want to know a little bit about jordan so tell me what you do and kind of how you got into the video game scene so for a living professionally, I'm a managing director um, at a large bank. Uh, I, running their, I run their offensive cybersecurity uh, team. So we're constantly trying to break into the company uh, from the internet or Wi-Fi or even just social engineer, away, uh, social engineer away into the building and then take those vulnerabilities and get them patched up and fixed. Um, also, I'm, in, uh, I'm a warrant officer in the Army Reserves doing offensive cybersecurity as well. So my entire career over the, you know, going on almost 20 years has been IT and cybersecurity. So definitely not arcades. So <laughs> I had to learn a lot once I dove headfirst into uh, this industry. Gotcha. Well, I mean, you're obviously familiar with tech and computers, so it probably wasn't too much of a learning curve, especially with a lot of these indie games um, that you guys have with Danger Zone Arcade. Uh, because they are pretty basic. I mean, I know the Galactic Battleground build isn't more than a motherboard, a processor, and some RAM. I mean, we don't have a whole lot going on there. Oh, just, um, yeah, little Linux boxes or little Intel NUCs. Very, very exactly. easy. Yeah, super easy for, I mean, really anybody that wants to build their own. Um, but I want to know about Danger Zone Arcade. So how did it start? What was the motivation to do this? Um, it's kind of a big venture for someone to individually take on. Um, knowing that these games sell for, I mean, Killer Queen is 15000 some of the other ones are 6000 um, but you definitely have a good collection. So tell me about Danger Zone Arcade and how that started. Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't know anything about Killer Queen or indie arcades. You know, I was this normal PC gamer. Um, and actually, and even right around that time, I was big into my other hobbies, uh, Spartan races, you know, um, ultra marathons, uh, playing bagpipes competitively. So it was definitely nothing that I was, you know, super into at the time. My sister lives in Seattle and she flew into Phoenix uh, to come hang out with us and visit. And she, we, when we grew up, we grew up on the Atari, ColecoVision, Fetrix, all the old school uh, gaming, uh, gaming machines. And, uh, and we even had a pinball uh, in an arcade in our garage at her dad's house. And she was like, hey, Jordan, there's this really cool game I want to I want to try to find if there's one in the valley. And it's kind of, it reminds me a lot of Joust, you know, and she's like, I think you really enjoy it. So she looked up uh, on the Internet and found that there was this little barcade in downtown area in Gilbert uh, called uh, The Grid and just happened to have Killer Queen. So she took me there and. I immediately fell in love with that game. It was incredible. There was a great team, the camaraderie, you know, uh, just the competitive nature of it and the, and the strategy behind it. I immediately fell in love and just was like, that's it. This is my new game. I love this. I'm going to keep coming back here as often. Now, the downside is that that was an hour drive each way from my house. 
So over time, that became very burdensome. And even if I wanted to go and play one of the other uh, Killer Queen cabinets, which was that bonus round in downtown Phoenix, um, where the Phoenix Mercury squad was playing on a regular basis competitively, that was now an hour and a half drive. So I was just constantly commuting to go uh, play this game. And uh, it, was, it was around, I think, beginning of, uh, or towards the end of uh, 2018, when I got back from a deployment, I was like, all right, I haven't played Kill Queen in almost a year. I'm going to go to the grid and play it. And when I got there, the cabinet was 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 broken. I don't know what, what the issue was, but it just happened to be down at that time. And that was when I was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to somehow, some way, open a barcade in downtown Queen Creek so I can play my game uh, that I want and love so much with all my friends uh, without having to drive an hour each way. Uh, so like even like from a business perspective and trying to make money, that wasn't even... Uh, part of my, my the forethought it was just i want to play killer queen and i want to do it conveniently so i should just own one myself yeah i mean it's it's the community that builds these games and keeps us going and i mean you even went an hour out of your way to play this game absolutely loved it played it a whole bunch tried to find another location near you that was closer and couldn't find it so i'm curious about that process um of actually purchasing the cabinet as a private uh, purchaser like a, a collector kind of what was that process like with killer queen well so well to start i had to like build the business model like i like i knew okay if i'm going to open a barcade like i need a flagship game and for me it made sense killer queen was the flagship game you know if you just if, just looking at how much the community revolves around like you said but also the community of Killer Queen keeps keeps a lot of those bars. I mean, I mean, I don't know their books in the back end, but possibly afloat. You know, if you think about the regular the the, the 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 loyalty behind that game and the regular patronage, that's you know probably what keeps the lights on. Yeah, without um, a doubt. So, so I was like, all right, I need to get um, get the business side built up. You know, start the LLC, come up with the name, come up with the websites, and and run that on, build a business uh, uh, plan so I can get investors and, and get funding and everything. In the meantime, start reaching out to the people uh, like uh, Brian Lee, uh, at Chaco, uh, all those awesome dudes at, uh, at Bumble Bear Games and figure out what's the process to buy one of these things. And, and that was also what I learned how expensive it was. Uh, so that was another thing like, okay, I gotta make sure I'm gonna dive deep into this. And this is a big commitment because yeah, the, the cabinet itself is fifteen thousand um, dollars, so it was just kind of running, building the connections, meeting the right people, getting the business aligned in parallel, and then getting the the, the, the funding arranged. Um, and at the time, I had no investors, so this was just coming straight out of my pocket. Yeah, I mean that's definitely something big to take on. And like you said, with Chaco, we've talked to Chaco, we've talked to Nikita, we've talked to a lot of the guys over in the Killer Queen scene, um, and. They seem to be pretty well coordinated there, especially when we went to Bumble Bash for um, last year, I believe that was already. And they had so many cabinets. Speaking of the community, it was just, it was massive. There were yeah. so many people there. And it just, I think I played Killer Queen for like 11 hours straight. And <laughs> enjoyed it a lot. Like I wasn't bored at all by the end of it. Um, yeah, I got, I got lucky too, because right when things were coming to fruition, um, the Game On Expo uh, was was shortly approaching, 
uh, and that's in downtown Phoenix. And so I reached out to John Lester, who runs the Game On Expo, and told him, I was like, hey, you know, I'd like to show up and just set up a booth. And I, I think if, if I arrange things properly, I could bring Killer Queen. And he was just ecstatic. He was like, oh, you could bring Killer Queen. That would be awesome. Because um, also, um, at, at the time, uh, uh, Bonus Round was the only one, uh, only group that would lend out their cabinets because uh, they they ran they ran a tournament at Zap, Zapcom, which was earlier that year. Um, but as you know, with Killer Queen, it's it's an arduous process and an, an, an undertake, undertaking to to get these cabinets uh, at a new location. And so I, I I was able to accomplish that with maybe a few days to spare as far as shipping went. Because um, also they didn't uh, they didn't have any cabinets available from Bumble uh, Bumblebear. So I just for the luck of the draw. There is um, a gentleman, uh, Nick and Brooke, who run the pinball company out in uh, out in the Midwest. They actually happened to have uh, a cabinet that they were selling, a used one, and they had just bought it. And, it, and when I talked to them, it was interesting. They're like, "Yeah, we put this cabinet on location. It was like at a like at a college dorm, um, but it didn't really make any returns. Like they were having, they were getting nothing out of it." And I was like, "Well," and they didn't really understand the Killer Queen community. I was like, "Well, with Killer Queen, you got to build that community." you got to run tournaments and you got to like really really you know you get you get out of it what you put into it exactly. uh, and for them they were just your regular um coin op provider you know they just want to they get a game and they just put besides running their retail website but they put it here just hoping it would just make returns and uh and so i worked out a deal and i purchased his cabinet and uh at the same time too i met uh shane from uh, cosmotrons um just again diving deep into the indie community and uh and him and i started talking and really really awesome dude and he's actually uh, a lieutenant in the uh, army national guard i believe um so we also so he was starting that process we also had a lot of we had a lot to talk about really awesome dude and so i bought cosmotrons i was like all right i now i'm bringing something new cosmotrons to arizona and something beloved you know killer queen and i'll have these two items to kind of legitimize me at the game on expo as somebody that's up and coming and has kind of the means to, to actually, you know, make it happen, so to speak. So not just a fanboy, actually like a potential competitor. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, and you even talking about Shane. Yeah. Shane is an awesome dude. Um, we've done an interview with him on Cosmotrons and the story of how that came to be was really cool. That's, that's why I love diving into these podcasts is like, finding out how someone went from nothing to having everything that they've got with all the development and creation and you're a unique story because you're kind of doing it in a different way than a lot of other people have. You're, you're getting the games first and then building from there. So I'm kind of curious as to how did you find all these games in the indie community? I know you have well, like six games now, somewhere in that range. Um, and I feel like they're, they're fairly hidden unless you're like really looking for them. Yeah, I, I well, I learned about Death Ball by listening to another podcast um, that was on about Killer Queen, and I think they talked about their first large, uh, you know, competitive event where they had Death Ball um, as uh, when it was in its uh, prototype. You know, it was not an arcade; it was actually just like a, I believe, a, like a kind of a, a PC console version. So 
I was kind of like steering towards the games that that community already loved, you know? So it's like, if I'm going to already, if I'm going to have a room full of killer queen fans, what are the games are they going to want to play? Uh, and that's when, you know, learned about death ball. And then when I, you know, start dove more into, um, uh, the indie community, uh, learned about Cosmotrons and I guess, um, and even the game on expo, they all knew about Cosmotrons too, the, uh, cause I guess Shane did a tour uh, in the earlier days and, and he swung by Starfighters Arcade and uh, uh, did a, a showed off Cosmotrons there too. So, so it was just through word of mouth. And then when I talked to Shane, he was like, hey, um, if you really like Cosmotrons, there's another really good indie guy that makes an awesome game, uh, Kelly. And he runs, uh, he makes uh, Galactic Battlegrounds. So it was just through word of mouth. And like, I only was able to do this because I got a lot of help and generosity, you know, because like you said, it was initial financial investment up front, but there was other people that were just excited to get a cabinet in Arizona for the first time uh, and, you know, worked out, you know, deals and arrangements so that way it, it could happen. So, uh, you know, I, if it wasn't for the help, assistance and generosity of all the diehard fans, I would not have been able to, to do this. Definitely not on my own. Right. I mean, the community is driving all of us forward, all of the developers. And I've, I've had so much fun working with Kelly on Galactic Battleground and just the people I've met through conventions have been insane, like meeting Shane and meeting Tony and meeting Dan from DSM. And all these people are so cool. I want to figure out how this went for you. So now you're at the point where you've acquired all these games and they're what sitting in your in your garage or your basement. Um how did you take all those games and move them to a location? Because I know you were working with, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the location right now, but the there was one. Yes, the Pub and Grub, yeah. So you were working with them, and you pretty much dropped all the games in there at once, am I right? Yeah, so there was this, I, I tried to secure the funding to start my own location, but Given the you know the demanding nature of my of my job and also the military, um, yeah, I can't run. I can't be one hundred percent running the show. So I tried to find partners and investors that could potentially help run the business um, with me, just because like I can't do it myself. Um, you know, and I, and I had my, uh, my my wife was heavily involved, um, but also you know raising a family uh we had a brand new baby so it's like all right for if, if i'm gonna have a location i need other partners i didn't find any other partners that wanted to go on that venture with me it was like okay well i can still find a, a place that's already established and just you know work with them and there was this cowboy bar that has been in my area it's like literally a mile down the road of me and it's been in this area for over a decade and they have this room this very large room that was always just unoccupied and I and and the management has changed over the years, but really the bar never rebranded. And I knew that they were not doing so well. They were always just on the cusp of barely surviving. And it's like, all right, well, how can I maybe help this business introduce a new audience, help them thrive a little bit, also get a place, you know, for my for my games to start building the portfolio, uh, you know, because again, like with with cybersecurity, you know doing that for a living and, and running a lot of teams. Like it's all about your key performance indicators, your metrics, your projections, you know, uh, what, what type of long-term planning you need actual data for that. So if I can get these on a location, start building a brand, building a community and also 
learning the amount of money they can make that you can leverage that information down the road for potential investors and, uh, and funding. So I worked out a deal with this little cowboy bar to take that back room and turn it into an arcade. Um, there's definitely a lot of lessons to be learned that, uh, that, that I had there because one of the things, well, here, let me back up. So like you said, dropped all these things off, started doing some social media build up to a, a grand launch. So on our opening day, uh, we had Killer Queen, Cosmotrons, Galactic Battlegrounds, and then uh, I had a few pins, uh, some some old school uh, System 11 pinball machines, and a newer Stern uh, Jurassic Park. So it was it was a pretty decent lineup for the size of the room. There's also some pool tables and other things in that room, um, and we had a really good launch. It was a really awesome night, but. What I didn't anticipate was that the regulars at that bar, they did not like the fact that a new crowd was coming in. Younger people, um, uh, families, kids, you know, they that they had been there. Again, like these are the, the type of uh, regulars that they wake up at 10 a.m. and they go to this bar and they drink. Uh, you know, the cheapest, you know, draft beer that they have available. And then they're there till two in the morning and then they come back. You know what I mean? That type of regular, they yeah, live there. The lifers. Yeah. The lifers like that is they bar, their bar. They live there and they were not going to let anybody new encroach on their turf. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it was like the, our very grand opening night. We had that, you know, again, there was 50 people. I mean, it was a great turnout, but these diehard, fans and, and around midnight they broke out like cornhole and were like starting to like fight with me because they're like we're going to be you know we're going to play cornhole like right in the middle of the room and it's like well bro no 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 like no no i've got a deal worked out with the owners this is now an arcade room you can take your cornhole outside uh, you know so there was always that that tension between you know the regulars myself and what I'm trying to bring. And then also the two owners of the bar, the one order, the one owner, he didn't want to change. He didn't want to grow with the times. He didn't want to adjust to the demographic change of even the area, you know? Uh, and then the other owner looked at the writing on the wall. Hey, there's a reason why LA fitness just built, you know, if, if you know, $10 million building next door, because th this area has changed. This is no longer a trucker, a biker, you know, and a farmer community, you know, the, the main demographic in this one mile radius are families, you know, between the ages of 20 and 40, you know, that's the, the you know, the, the, the demographic that's going to be into a place like this. And there's no other bar in the area and there's no other entertainment in the area. So there is a, um, there's a business opportunity if you can tap into that market. So there was a lot of contention within that, uh, that location, uh, did that that built over time now we you know we were able to constantly expand uh you know just to kind of pander to the regulars i bought um, big buck from roth rills and ran tournaments on the other side uh where the actual bar was i was like all right let me, let me give them something to do to keep them out of this room and leave people alone while they're trying to play pinball and killer queen um but I, I brought them a lot of business. And that was another thing. Like I took over their entire social media marketing. So I was bringing them a lot of business 
And every single month I had a new game lined up like, okay, so this month it's going to be, uh, you know, death ball. Uh, next month it's going to be new pinned. And the month after that, we're getting sky cursor. Then a month under that, you know, potentially line up, um, enter the gungeon house of the gun dead. Uh, that's another one I'm really excited to want to get. And then maybe down the road, switch and shoot, you know, so I had, I had like this whole six, six month, uh, rollout all the way up through, uh, March of a new game every single month to keep people invested and keep people coming back for more things. Um, yeah, so, but it was always me trying to push changing uh, and bring in a new, a new, a new brand and a new community to that location. And it was always the, there was always an opposition to that. So it was, it was definitely a, a, a struggle uh, every single time. Yeah, I mean, regulars that have been attending this bar for, I don't even know how long it's been around, but we had a family bar that was, I mean, we had regulars that had been there for 30 years. And even just the idea of changing a menu freaked them out or the smallest things, just because it's it's so regular to them. This is their lifestyle, basically. Um, and I really liked your idea of like the rollout and everything. So what games do you have specifically right now? So um right now i've got kill the queen concentrons galactic battlegrounds death ball sky cursor switch and shoot and then on the pin uh, uh, on pinballs i've got avengers limited edition ninja turtles limited edition black knight limited edition um jurassic park premium acdc premium you know and there was another thing too just to back up what i learned that 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 area and that community i thought they would really really geek out over the indie arcades uh, so that was an era on my behalf i didn't really know my audience that well is that you know to us they're not that intimidating you know we we, we see a new game oh this is cool kind of retro you know tickles the nostalgia bone we're going to dive deep into it so other people though they could be intimidated by that you know so there was a lot of um there's a lot of folks that they would look at like battlegrounds and like, well, that looks cool, but I don't know, you know, like, and I would have to like, well, Hey, do you, do you remember Galaga? Do you like Galaga? Well, this is basically a four player version of Galaga. It's really awesome. You know, like with Cosmotrons, you know, they, it looks cool, sounds cool, but I don't know, you know, eh, maybe I'll check it out. Maybe I won't. Hey, do you remember asteroids, lunar lander? Yeah. Oh, those games are awesome. That's all that is. Oh, okay. So you kind of have to like the same thing with killer queen, you know, it's just a, big battle rail version of joust um they the 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 community that didn't know much about the newer arcades they just knew the old schools uh they were intimidated by the new ones so i think it would have been better if i had maybe some uh something to clean you know to uh, an appetizer you know like to cleanse the palate a little bit like hey you know here's killer queen but before you jump on that because it's it's you know potentially intimidating to you here's a four-player version you know the cocktail battle royale version of pac-man or here's maybe an old school cabinet of galaga you know something to get people in the room to start playing because it's it's what they know and then from there steer them toward that other direction you're like oh i've just played some pac-man this is really cool all right now i'm feeling i'm in the gaming mode and you know now maybe i'll go check out this cosmetron you know what i mean does that make sense yeah, that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, everybody, I mean, like I said earlier, change is scary and people, 
don't understand things that they don't know. So if you drop in, like, I mean, I'm even kind of like visualizing a room right now where you have like Galactic Battleground right next to a Galaga and you have Killer Queen right next to a Joust and you have Cosmotrons right next to like a, an Asteroids and it, you're showing the past to the present because these games do take such a heavy influence from those old games. Yeah, it was. So that was an error on my behalf is that I thought just a straight up indie row would would lure people in just by the the retro look and feel uh, alone. And, and, and it definitely didn't do that. And another thing too, is that since majority of the, the regulars there are more, were, were older, they loved the pinball. Like it was, as far as collections went, the pinballs were what kept pinball and bug, big bug are what kept, you know, the, the, the business moving forward um, at that particular location. But then when a, group of killer queen fans would show up it, it would it'd be hit or miss like if they showed up you know them they're gonna be playing all night long until they get, eventually get kicked out and they're gonna be dropping a few hundred so killer queen would make like a few hundred bucks randomly you know uh, one week or another week whereas like uh the, the pinballs and the big bug they were more making money on a regular basis so um and again it was hard to keep that that crowd coming back because there was always this tension between the guests there. And eventually a lot of people were like, Hey, those, you know, big biker hillbilly guys, they're just too much of a pain in the ass and we just don't want to come back here, you know? So, so I was constantly dealing with that struggle. Um, but, but ultimately you know, come March, you know, Arizona shut down because of COVID and I knew that, I had to get my stuff out of that place really, really fast, you know, cause, uh, I, I just, I saw the writing on the wall, you know, um, places were shutting down. If you didn't have a, if, if you were a small business and you didn't have just a bank full of cash to weather this storm, you were going to go under. And my biggest fear was that the landlord would eventually lock that door out on the, on the, on the pub and grub and with all my stuff in it. So once Arizona, the governor mandated shutdown, um, that the very next day I pulled friends and trailers together and I went and just completely purged all my stuff out there out of the pub and grub. And then within three days, uh, their doors were locked on them. So that was so, very yeah, not coming. That was yeah. A move. yeah. Cause I know, I know like people that had other equipment there, like pool tables, jukeboxes and stuff like that. They were not able to get it back. They ended up in a legal battle with the landlords because come to find out that there was a lot of back rent that was owed. And, uh, so they tried to hold on to those assets. So I got lucky there. Um, and then I had to change my model to renting these things out to just try to, you know, keep funding uh, coming in. And that way I can still keep, like you said, grow the inventory, but also expand the inventory. I was like, all right, when the world reopens, I'm not going to make that those same mistakes. You know, I, I, I need to get some more, like you said, you know, a Galaga, a Pac-Man, you know, I, I and, and also buy more pins because those seem to be what in this area, what, what seem to be making a lot, especially with rentals. Um, it's hard to like, you know, it's hard to move arcade cabinets. That is right. a huge undertaking. I can load one pinball machine with, in, into the back of my forerunner in 10 minutes and I can unload it and load it. So that's been what's 
keeping me going is doing pinball rentals. Um, and then also partnering with some arcades that were able to do soft openings to get um, a lot of my indie arcades there. So for example, um, actually I did rent out of this diehard family. This guy, it was him and his six brothers. When they saw me advertising pinball rentals, they're like, hey, you have Killer Queen. I was like, yeah, I still got it. Like, can we rent that? I was like, well, you're gonna leave it at your house for like a month and it's gonna and it's gonna cost you. And they're like, yeah, we're cool. We love that game. And I was like, okay, sweet. They had me just drop it right in their kitchen. Like, like it was literally both cabinets in their front room, in between their dining, like their their, their family room with their, their couch and their kitchen, just smack right there. And they held on to it for like four weeks. It was it was it was it was hilarious, but yeah, that was that was really fun. Those those dudes were cool. And like I said, it's a community, they're just they're diehard fans and um, and then after that, Killer Queen went to Starfighters Arcade because they were able to do a soft opening. And uh, Galactic Battlegrounds is there right now too. So um, we're going to try to do kind of an indie theme at Starfighters where every month we roll out a new indie arcade. So like this uh, September uh, going into October was Battlegrounds. And then we're going to swap that out and put Cosmotrons in. And they're going to do some promotions and make a cool video on it. And then probably... In the next month, we'll do maybe Death Ball and Switch and Shoot together. So we're just going to keep swapping out, doing uh, some indie promotions. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a really good idea to kind of keep the scene fresh and keep stuff moving in there. Um, and then you also have the flexibility to, like, maybe when you pull one of them out, you can drop it in another location in the area. Um, I'm kind of curious about what the advantages and disadvantages to not having a physical location and working primarily primarily with the arcades through partnerships have been for you that you found. Because I've had people kind of bring up the idea of like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to own these games and basically drop them at a location and figure it out from there. So what, in your opinion, have been the plus side and the downside to that? Well, I mean, I guess with how with COVID... I'm glad I didn't own a location, you know, um, the yeah, only that could have been problematic. Yeah. Especially because for me, I would have, if my initial timeline worked out, I would have been opening the doors January, the beginning of 2020. And, you know, as with any small business, when the first time you start off, I mean, even I just, even my, my soft launch at a, at a partner with a location, I was in the hole thousands and thousands of dollars. So that would have been, you know, multiplied probably within a hundred thousand dollars if I would open my location just to have within two months told to close the doors. So, so I got lucky there, you know, I mean, well, as lucky as, as, as you can say is that, you know, um, with COVID, but the advantage is you're not taking on any of the extra liability, um, especially having a liquor license. Um, but the disadvantage is that's how you make your money. You know, if it's just more just collections alone are not going to pay rent at any building. So that was another thing too. I did kind of a tour of the West coast just to go to every single arcade I could find just to see what different business models that they have and what different strategies. So like, for example, um, uh, there's a there's this uh, there's this place in uh, in downtown Phoenix called Ziggy's, and it's a little pizza joint. Now uh, the gentleman that own uh, Cobra Arcade, they 
built this pin bar just attached to it. So it's actually really cool because it's this whole David Bowie thing and it's called Stardust. So you put it together, Ziggy Stardust, and you actually walk behind, you go into the pizza joint and then you walk through that looks like the back cooler, like you're going into their, 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 their freezer. And it's actually door, it opens up into this big, you know, big, big, huge, cool bar with a massive disco ball, LED lit dancing floor. And there's like 20 pinball machines and it's all David Bowie themed. So, but they, that's the only place that has the bar. So they're going to be making all their money through sale of alcohol. Uh, and the collections is secondary. So that's one way to do it. Partner with a place um, that sells the food, but you're not taking on the liability of the food. You're not having to deal with, you know, all, all that uh, business administration. Um, and that's why, like, if it would have worked, like when I partnered with that location, the pub and grub, they had the liquor license and they were doing the ones doing all the sales, but they were paying the rent for the room I was in. So I only had to give them, you know, 40% of the collections. So, and I was getting to take home. So you get to take home when you don't, when you're not paying rent, that's pretty decent passive income. But when you are paying rent, collections won't, won't make enough money. You, you gotta be selling food or alcohol. And, and most of the time, the biggest uh, moneymaker is the alcohol. So like, I would still like to find here in the uh, close in the Valley, again, another, especially out here, there's not, there's these little retail shops that just spring up and then you have essentially swim lanes. So for example, let's just say a little pizza joint opened up out here, but there's a vacant swim lane next to them. I would buy that swim lane, but also that's where the bar would be, you know, and like, okay, here's the arcade, here's the bar. I'll make enough money off liquor sales to pay the rent, but I don't want to mess with the kitchen, but they can go next door and get food and bring it over here. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's, it's smart to cut your liabilities. And when you're talking about the rent, especially, um, that's big and you not having the liquor license and all that it's, it's a disadvantage to not be making that money from the liquor license. Cause I know a lot of the arcade bars are really, that's, that's a huge part of what their money comes from. Um, but there is a, a lot of loopholes and a lot of things you got to deal with in that. So my last question for you here is about your social media links. So I want everybody that's been listening to the podcast here to be able to find you easily. So give me a shout out on those social media links before we wrap everything up. Yeah, sure. So on Instagram, it's Danger Zone Bar. On Facebook, it's Danger Zone Arcade. And then my website is DangerZoneArcade.com. And I've got a, a list of all the games I have uh, available. Um, if you want to rent any of these, uh, like I said, either the, any of the pinball machines or uh, any of the arcades, uh, hit me up on uh, my Facebook page, Danger Zone Arcade, uh, through instant message, and we can uh, we can get you on the books. And also, too, if you want to see uh, where all the, the games are going to be uh, located uh, when, when they're rented out, too, just follow me. So, for example... If you want to play Killer Queen, it's at uh, Starfighters Arcade. Uh, actually, I think right now my Killer Queen set is probably the only place in uh, Starfighters is in the only place right now that's open that has Killer Queen uh, here in the Valley. Um, Arizona's done a soft open, but unfortunately, a lot of the uh, arcade bars couldn't weather the storm. So there's, I know Electric Bat Arcade is doing uh, their open. Uh, for business, uh, and they're doing really good. Uh, they have a great uh, assortment of pinball machines, and also uh, Level One 
in downtown Gilbert is open and same with Tilt Studios in uh, Tempe. So there's a few, but um, if you want to play Battlegrounds or Killer Queen, you got to go to Starfighters and Mesa. Gotcha. All right. Well, I'm going to drop all of those links in the description here. Um, I wanted to thank you again, Jordan, for joining me today. Um, to everybody that's listening, if you like what we're doing here at Indie Arcade Wave, supporting the scene during these times, um, definitely hit that subscribe button, whether you're on YouTube or you're on the podcast. Um, and check out our next episode coming out next Friday. But until next time, peace.